to be here tonight. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, if you are not aware, we're in the middle of a series, actually just one week left. Next week's our last week in the series. And we've called the series Gazing at God's Goodness. Gazing at God's Goodness. We've looked at uh, God's uh, compassion, God's grace, God's patience. Uh, we've looked at uh, how God is abounding in love, his hesed love. Uh, last week, we looked at God's faithfulness. Uh, this week, we're looking at the God who forgives, the God of forgiveness. And I want to give you a head up that um, we're going to spend quite a bit of time tonight just unpacking how when you've experienced God's forgiveness, it flows to forgiving other people. And we spend a bit of time on what it means and what it looks like to forgive somebody who's wronged you. And I'll give you that heads up because I'm conscious there'll be people, people here tonight who have been deeply wounded and deeply hurt. And so when I talk about forgiving other people, it triggers something in you. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father, I, I, I do pray that you would help me to speak wisely tonight in the power of your Spirit. I ask, Lord, as we open your word, that we would hear your voice. Uh, Lord, give us a heart and a mind and a, a will that is eager to hear what you've got to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously said, uh, to be a Christian means that you forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And what he's saying there is that when you've experienced the incredible forgiveness of God who has forgiven you the inexcusable, then it flows to forgiving the wrong behavior of others. It, it's really what, what Jesus said in what we now call the Lord's Prayer. There's that line that whenever I say the Lord's Prayer, you kind of stop and you take a deep breath. They forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And it's really quite simple that when you know the lavish forgiveness of God, uh, the Spirit enables you and equips you and empowers you to forgive other people. Uh, when you've experienced the extraordinary, extravagant forgiveness of God, it enables you and equips you and empowers you to forgive other people. It's what Ephesians said in chapter 4, verse 32, forgive, forgive, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. And so it's really simple, but let's be honest, it's really hard to do. Let's be really honest, it's really, really, really hard to forgive the person who's wronged you, who's wounded you, who's hurt you, who has harmed you. It sounds nice, but it's incredibly hard to do. And that's why C.S. Lewis says that everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until there's someone or something to forgive. And so we know that we should forgive, but it's hard to forgive. Now, I think we know that we need God's forgiveness. We know that we've wronged God and hurt God and we need his forgiveness. And I think that we know that we wrong and hurt other people. So when you've wronged somebody else and hurt somebody else, you long to, for them to say to you, that's okay, I forgive you. We, we know that. And I think we know what happens when 
we fail to forgive, when we withhold forgiveness, when we, we lack forgiveness, uh, you know that it consumes you. You know that you become bitter and you become this sort of nasty person who holds grudges and you start to view everything through this lens. You know that. And I hope you know, I hope you've experienced uh, the liberation that comes when you learn to forgive somebody. You, we know all that stuff, but it's still really hard to forgive. And I think it's hard to forgive other people because we live in a culture that says revenge is right and retaliation is good and okay. There's a book doing around called Toxic Parents. And it's talking about kids and it's saying to the children of our, our generation today, you don't need to forgive. Learn the new cry, I am the victim. It's not my fault. My parents did this to me. That, that's the culture that we live in. And it's really hard to forgive people because many of us here have got deep wounds and deep hurts and deep scars. And it's naive of me just to say, oh, just forgive. And that's what makes Matthew 18 incredibly confronting. The context here is a brother or sister in Christ, a, a fellow believer who wrongs you, who hurts you, who wounds you. And if they, if they won't repent, if they won't say sorry, if they repeatedly refuse to repent, verse 17 is really straightforward. You, you treat them as an unbeliever. And that's the easy bit. Perhaps secretly we hope that people won't repent because it's easier if they don't repent and we can feel justified in not forgiving. But what happens when a believer does repent and asks for your forgiveness? Now, please hear this rightly. I am not saying that you put yourself under repeated patterns of harm or abuse. I'm not saying that. But here's the scenario in, in, in Matthew 18. I wrong you. Let's pretend this. I've wronged you. I've hurt you. And I come to you and say, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? And I, I do mean that. I want to change my ways. And, and you forgive me. But then I do the same thing again. And I come back to you and say, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? And I, I, I really mean that. And, and again and again and again, it keeps on happening. That, that's the question that Peter asks in verse 21. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who constantly sins against me? Once, twice, three times, that's what the limit of the Jewish rabbis was. Forgive them three times, they said. And Peter thinks he's being generous in verse, verse 21. Up to seven times, he says. That's generous. And Peter answers, uh, Jesus answers rather, verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, literally. And it is a, a number of completion, of infinity, of ongoing. He says, forgive them again and again and again and again and again. And so Jesus does not speak about revenge or retaliation. He, he talks about forgiveness. That outrageous, unspeakable, unfathomable word we call forgiveness. And if you learn nothing else tonight, learn this one thing, that, that knowing the extravagant forgiveness of God will flow to extending forgiveness to other people. I want to unpack Matthew 18. It's a wonderful parable. It's a, a parable of two halves. The first half is verses 23 to 27. This is extravagant forgiveness. There's a, a king, a king on his throne, verse 23, 
who wants to settle his debts with his servant. So this, this man comes in, a servant comes in, let's call him Tim. Uh, and Tim owes, what did it say, verse 24? Uh, 10,000 bags of gold. That's an astronomical debt. And just so you, you grasp this, that debt is more money than was, than was in circulation at that time of history. And so the debt this man owes, this servant owes, is trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars. It's an unpayable debt. And you're supposed to imagine the servant getting out his wallet and saying, okay, I'll pay you back $10, $20, and I can't do it. How about we said about a monthly payment? Let's, oh no, that would be $100 million per month, and I can't afford that. And so the, the, the punishment is that he's going to go to jail with his wife and his kids. Look at verse 26. He gets on his knees and he begs. He begs the king. Please be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. No, he, he can't pay back, but he's just begging. And the shock is verse 27. The, the servant's master, the king, took pity on him and cancelled the debt, wiped the debt clean, let him go. He, he says to the servant, you have no debt to pay. I will not hold this against you. You are fully forgiven. And you imagine the man walking out saying, my debt is paid. It's paid in full. And I imagine that he is just overwhelmed with gratitude because he has been completely and undeservably forgiven. The debt's paid, gone. But the second act is, it's quite disturbing. It's quite scandalous. I've, I've called it extraordinary unforgiveness. Look at verse 28, when, when that servant, when the forgiven servant went out, he he found one of his fellow servants, another servant, let's call him Jim, and Jim owes Tim a hundred silver coins. It's a big debt. It's about a hundred days' wages. It's about a third of a day, a third of a year's salary. It's a big debt. But compared to the astronomical debt that he's just been forgiven, it is tiny. And we expect him to say, oh, that's okay, I've just been forgiven. But he doesn't do that. He, he grabs him by the neck and he begins to choke him and says, pay me back. And look at verse 29. It's identical to verse 26. Identical. The second servant falls on his knees and he begs, please be patient. The exact same words that, that the first servant said to the king. But Tim refused. He sends Jim off to jail and says, pay your debts. Isn't that scandalous? That the man who's been forgiven much cannot forgive somebody else little. The person who's experienced extraordinary forgiveness cannot show forgiveness to a, a person who owes him very little. Now here's why, how I'd like this parable to end. I would like this parable to end with with Tim coming to his senses and saying, oh, how stupid I've been. I've just been looking at life through this horizontal lens and just seeing how other people have hurt me, and I've forgotten the vertical. I've forgotten that the king has forgiven me, so of course I can forgive you. But it doesn't end like that. Verse 32 says that the king called in this wicked servant and says, I cancelled all that huge debt of yours. I cancelled your, your trillion-dollar debt because you begged me to, I forgave you. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, on the other human being who owed you a debt? 
In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which is impossible, and that's a picture of, of hell, if you think you can pay your own debts. But the sting in the tale is verse 35. This is a verse that we don't like. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Not just outward and superficial, but a genuine heartfelt forgiveness. It's Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I know that's hard, but he's saying that if you have grasped the the magnitude of God's forgiveness towards you, that God has has paid your trillion-dollar debt, if you you grasp that fully, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be equipped and enabled to extend forgiveness to other people. Let's focus on God's forgiveness, on the extravagant forgiveness of God. Because that's our attribute tonight, that God is forgiving. The heart of God is that he forgives And let me be clear that that forgiveness is not just something that God does. It's who God is. God is forgiving. That's his character. He longs to forgive. Exodus 34 on the screen, the Lord, the Lord, this is who God is. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He's abandoning love. He is faithful, and he is forgiving. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And that's what Jonah 4 was all about. Because God had told Jonah to go to the Ninevites and to preach repentance and forgiveness to these Ninevites. But Jonah is horrified by that because the Ninevites, these are words used to describe the people of Nineveh. They were murderers, abusers, thieves, addicts, self-centers, idolaters, horrible, evil people. And the reason that Jonah is angry is because he knows the character of God. He he knows that if they hear about forgiveness, then if they repent, then God will forgive them. He can't stand that thought. He, He likes the thought of God forgiving him, but he can't stand the thought of God forgiving other people, especially nasty, wicked, evil people. And the problem with Jonah is he hasn't understood sin. He hasn't understood that every human being needs forgiveness. And you don't categorize sin. Sin is sin. And I wonder whether we're the same. We, we fling that word forgiveness around. We, we sing about it. We talk about it. But it's almost like my debt that God has forgiven me is, is quite small compared to other people's debts because they're, they're way worse than I am. The doctrine of sin is so important for your understanding of forgiveness. We've just sung that it's your breath in our lungs. Every breath we've got is from God. Every morning you wake up with a heartbeat is from God. He gives us food. He gives us clothes. He gives us shelter. He gives us those moments of pleasure and comfort. But we don't love him. We don't praise him. We don't adore him. We abuse him. And we're sinners. Those three words, wickedness, rebellion, and sin, they, they encapsulate what it means to be a sinner. The word wicked, it means to deviate from the right path, 
to take a shortcut, if you were around in the time of the Sydney Olympics, you'd have seen that, that, that blue painted line throughout Sydney. That's the marathon course. If you want to win the marathon, you have to stick to that line. You have to run the course. You, you can't finish first and say, oh, actually, I took a, took a shortcut through Centennial Park and I only ran 32K. You've cheated. That's what it means to be wicked, that you don't stick to God's path, but you deviate from it. The word rebellion means that you, you fall short, you overstep the mark, rather. You overstep the mark, you do the wrong thing. God tells you to do one thing, but you just push it too far, and you, you overstep the boundary. And, and the word sin means that you fail to do the good things, you fail to do the right things that God tells you to do. And those three words, wicked, rebel, sin, they describe everybody in this room and everybody in our universe. And that's why that word forgive is so beautiful. We all need it. The word forgive means that God washes us. God pays our debt. God doesn't see us like that. God doesn't define us like that. God doesn't hold things against us. He, that's his character. But let me be clear that forgiveness is, is, is really costly. It's not cheap. Isaiah 55 says this, let, let him, let, let people return to the Lord so the Lord may have compassion on him. And to our God, for God freely forgives. Isn't that a beautiful truth that, that God's heart of forgiveness, he freely forgives you. He doesn't ask for any contribution, any payment. He just freely forgives you. But don't understand that word free. It is free for you, but it's costly for him. Because forgiveness is always, always costly. You know, if you'd lived before the, the, the time of Jesus Christ, uh, the cost of forgiveness was the blood of an animal. You know that. And so if you wanted to be, be forgiven by God before Jesus, then every day, every week, every month, every year, you'd make sacrifices. You, you'd pay for an animal, and you would, you would slaughter an animal, and you would... You would sprinkle the blood because blood needs to be shed if forgiveness is going to be given. But have you grasped that? that? That's how much it would cost you to be forgiven every day, every week, every month. Paying for an animal, killing an animal, it is costly. And of course it's pointing forward to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who, who sheds his own blood, the, the perfect, sinless, once-for-all sacrifice. By his blood, he pays and covers for the sins of the whole world. But that was not cheap. That cost God his only precious son. So God's forgiveness for you, it's, it's his character, it is costly, and it's complete. Complete forgiveness. You've got to believe this, that you are fully cleansed and fully forgiven and fully washed, and you are whiter than snow. It's not like when you get that driver's license offense, you get those demerit points, and you just, you just work your way after three years and you get them back again. It's not like that. It's complete, total, full forgiveness once and for all. As far as the east is from the west, so far as we removed your sins from you. And this is the glorious gospel. This is the heart of God. He, he longs to forgive. He wants to forgive. He does forgive. He fully forgives in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I, I really hope you've experienced this. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 51, which is the psalm when, when, 
David, King David, has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's got her pregnant. He's killed her husband, Uriah. And Nathan the prophet comes and confronts him about his sin. And David writes these beautiful words. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. If we're going to experience God's full forgiveness, we need to do what David did. David admits his sin, he asks for forgiveness, and he accepts forgiveness. He admits his sin. The, the repeated word is my. My transgressions, my iniquity, my sin, my transgressions. David doesn't cover up his sin. He doesn't blame other people. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. She made me do it. He made me do it. He just confesses and admits, I'm a sinner. And I wonder whether we have lost the art of confession in the church. We've lost that art of self-examination where you stare in the mirror and you just acknowledge, yet God, today I... I've lusted and I've, I've lied and I've been a bit proud and I am wicked, I am a rebel, I am a sinner. Because you'll never experience and enjoy that full forgiveness without that step of admitting your need of forgiveness. I hope you know that sin is not just a, a moral problem. Sin is a theological problem. Because against you, against God only have we sinned. Yeah, of course we've wronged other people, but ultimately sin is against a holy God. And so you ask and you plead, have mercy on me. Wash away my sin. Cleanse me. He's saying, put me in the washing machine with the strongest detergent. Wash me thoroughly. Wipe me every last stain, every hint of an attitude or thought that offends you. Cleanse me, please. He's pleading with God for forgiveness. And he's confident that God has forgiven me. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow, he says. If you're a believer in Christ tonight, it means that at some point in your life, you got down on your knees, and like that servant in the parable, you just begged before your king and said, I can't pay my debt anymore. Will you pay it for me? Thank you, Jesus, for paying my debt for me, that astronomical debt. And if you've done that, you've experienced this, this wonderful forgiveness from God. If you haven't done that, if you've never done that, tonight is a great night to do that. Just get on your knees and say, my debt is huge, God. I can't pay it. Thank you, Jesus, that you did pay it for me at Calvary. But I do wonder whether many of us have done that, but then we, we just treat forgiveness cheaply, as though it's God's job just to keep on forgiving us. And we haven't actually grasped that he just loves us so much. He just constantly overflows us with more and more and more forgiveness. And when you've understood that, when you've understood God's extravagant forgiveness towards you, it changes you. It changes you and it changes your attitude towards other people. Listen carefully, especially those who have wronged you. You see, I don't say this lightly, however big the debt that somebody owes me, someone who's wronged me, however big that is, Compared to the way that I have wronged God, there is no comparison. 
And so no one can offend or hurt me as much as I've offended God. And when you lift your eyes off that horizontal onto the vertical, it does help you to learn to forgive. Because forgiveness is like this river. It must flow on. It flows from you to other people, to people who have wounded you. And the moment that you dam it up and refuse to let it flow on, it just stagnates. And you know that a stagnant lake or a stagnant river, it begins to stink. So let's look at extending forgiveness to other people. This is where it gets really hard. Colossians 3, forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. What is forgiveness? Here's a good definition. It's on the screen. Forgiveness is a verbally declared and personally given promise that affirms that though I have been offended, there is no anger, there's no hatred, no bitterness, no desire for vengeance, and no retaliation. And this is the hard bit. That verbal declaration is matched in action. Not just words, but acting as though they are fully forgiven. Let me say what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not approving of the wrongdoing. It's not approving of the hurt because sin is sin and sin's a big deal. Forgiveness is not pretending it never happened. Don't brush it under the carpet. Forgiveness is not the absence of righteous anger. Sometimes it is right to be angry at someone's wrongdoing. Forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. There's always consequences for someone's behavior. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You know that terrible phrase, forgive and forget? That's rubbish. How can you forget when you've been deeply scarred and deeply wounded and deeply changed by somebody? And this is the big one. Forgiveness is not the same as as reconciliation. For reconciliation, there needs to be repentance. And even if there is repentance, you can forgive, but it takes a long, 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 long time to rebuild that trust or even put yourself in their presence. So what is forgiveness? Piper says this, resisting all thoughts of revenge, Romans 12, not returning evil for evil, 1 Thessalonians 5, wishing them well, blessing them, Luke 6, Grieving at their calamities, Proverbs 24. Praying for them, Matthew chapter 5. Seeking peace as far as it depends on you, Romans 12. And coming to their aid in distress, Exodus 23. That is radical forgiveness towards somebody else. Here's a few questions. What if they keep on hurting me? What if this person does it again and again and again? And Jesus' answer is 70 times 7. No limit to the number of times we should forgive people. Because think about it, God keeps on forgiving you. God constantly forgives you. Let me clarify there. I I am not saying that you put yourself in harm's way. If somebody constantly hurts you or harms you, you must keep yourself safe. Forgiving them doesn't mean you put yourself in danger. Sometimes you, you can forgive them but it's not safe to be in their presence. What if they haven't repented? Well, forgiveness looks slightly different. According to Luke 17, full forgiveness is only possible if there's full repentance. 
But I want to add here, even if they don't repent, we're still called to work hard at our heart and have this heart that is willing to forgive and a heart that has forgiven them, even though they haven't yet repented. So when they do come to repent, of course you forgive. I found that profoundly helpful. What's at stake if we don't forgive other people? You know the answer. Bitterness, anger, self-centeredness, holding on to grudges, slandering people, keeping that long record of wrongs, viewing people through this lens saying, you've wronged me, you've wronged me, you've wronged me. And lack of forgiveness is like, a, like picking is an open wound. It gets infectious. It keeps you from healing. And let me say this, that lack of forgiveness will, will really impact your relationship with God. And I know because I've done it. But 18 years ago, someone wounded me and hurt me so, so badly. And I couldn't forgive them. For a whole year, I withheld forgiveness. Every time I saw them, there was something inside of me, and I viewed them through this lens of just almost hatred. And my walk with Jesus suffered, and I lacked joy, and it was like, like this oppression, this weight upon me. And I had to learn to forgive. And when I learned to forgive, this like this... This weight was lifted and this peace came over me. It was just liberating. Was, was it easy? Of course it wasn't easy. Was it worth it? Yes, it was. So how would you do it? How do you forgive? We're finished with this. Friends, no one in this room tonight has the power by themselves to forgive another person. You can't do it. I can't do it. I can't say to you, you must forgive, you must forgive, because you'll say, I can't do it. I know you can't do it. Humanly speaking, we can't do it, but, but with the work of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. In and of ourselves, we can't forgive, but when you've flooded yourself with God's forgiveness and when you've experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you have a power within you that enables you and equips you to forgive somebody. Here's how I did it. I went home and I wrote down on a piece of paper this long list of all the things that they'd done wrong, all the things they'd said, what they did, the times, the dates, the places, wrote their name on it and got a Sharpie and I wrote over that whole list saying, forgiven, forgiven, nothing held against them. And I did that, but it didn't really work because I saw them and I still had this inner feeling towards them. And so I wrote a longer list of all the things they'd done and said and where they were. And, and then I burnt it, and that didn't work either. And then I bought a pot, and one of the $2 shop pots, and I wrote on their name what they did, and, and I got a hammer, and I smashed that. And that didn't work either. I'm just being honest. And then I read in the Bible this beautiful picture of how God has forgiven me. It talks about, it talks about how God takes my sins and throws them to the bottom of the ocean where they've gone and they've gone for good and I can't take them back again and he can't take them back again. And so I thought I'd try that. So I got a, a rock and I wrote on it the name of the person, what I did wrong, and I just literally stood by the hob and I just hurled it into the ocean. And as I watched this rock just go under the water, I felt the Spirit just bring this liberation to me and this freedom because it had gone. 
to God. That is so liberating. If you've never done that, please do that. Joyce Meyer says this. Who are you hurting most when you forgive? Sorry, who are you helping most? Who are you helping most when you forgive the person who hurt you? Actually, you're helping yourself more than the other person. I always looked at forgiving people who hurt me as being really hard. I thought it seemed so unfair for them to receive forgiveness when I had gotten hurt. I got pain. They got the freedom without having to pay for the pain they caused me. But now I realize that I'm helping myself when I choose to forgive. Forgiveness is one of those journeys that's very difficult. You won't always get it right. You may have thought that you'd forgiven some, someone only to have it slap you in the face again later. Keep forgiving, keep forgiving, and keep opening the door of your heart to your own freedom from that past. I love that about God. He keeps on forgiving me because that's his heart. And when you bathe in the extraordinary, extravagant forgiveness of God, it does flow to forgiving other people. On your seats, you've got a card. I'm going to do things slightly differently tonight. You might be here tonight and you've never, ever, ever experienced the forgiveness of God. And tonight might be the night for the first time that you experience the forgiveness as you hand all your debts over to God and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. You might be here tonight and there might be a sin or a debt that you're holding on to. You just need to hand it to God and let him forgive you. But you might be here tonight, and I know this is dangerous, you might be here tonight with somebody in your life that you're holding on to that hurt, you're holding on to that grudge. Maybe write their name down. We're not going to collect those cards. Don't worry, I'm not going to see, see that. But you might be here tonight and you know that you've wronged somebody else and you need to seek forgiveness from somebody else tonight. So how are we going to use that card tonight? Use it how you want to use it. And then I'll lead us in a prayer of confession. So I'll give you a moment by yourself. Please join me in this prayer. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change, Open to us a in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world.